You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in the sweet and precious name of Jesus. The Lamb, the Bible said, that was slain before the foundations of the earth. In other words, dear Lord, salvation was not something that came later on, but it was planned by sovereign God from the very beginning. He knew man would fail. He knew that man was prone to wonder. He knew that in time that man would need redemption, and so he provided a lamb, a lamb without blemish, a lamb that would pay the supreme sacrifice, Jesus who would impute his righteousness to us and in turn would impute our sin to him. And he would become a sin offering that would atone for our sin and set us free. And Lord, because of that, he's overcome sin, the grave, death, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says Jesus making intercession for us. All of these are promises. But Lord, they're promises to your people those that have repented of their sin and put their faith and their trust in you. And Lord, I pray that if there's one man, one woman, one boy, one girl that today is seeking to be saved, that Lord, this would be the day. And Lord, we give you all the glory. And Lord, I ask you to cleanse me. Lord, just wash over me the blood of Jesus Christ. Cleanse me from anything that may have come out of my mouth, gone into my eyes, into my ears. Lord, anything that would hinder your word today. And Lord, I pray that for this congregation, all that listen. And Lord, we love you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to go ahead and let you be seated for a moment. This is going to be a little bit different kind of service. And... um, to be, hey, look, I never do this. <laughs> hey, I never do this. This is just scribbling and notes and stuff with arrows wrote in all different directions. And, um, you know, I believe right now in this nation, where we are right now as a country, I, I don't believe that it's business as usual. Uh, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors just may get up and they may give a three-point sermon and go about just like everything just is normal. I don't believe that. I think we are in very, very unusual times, uncertain times. Things are uh, not like they've ever been in my nearly 65 years of life. So, and you may feel the same way. There's an uneasiness. I went to eat with a good friend of mine, a businessman, but a strong Christian. And I made this statement to him. I said the other night, this past week, I said, I just simply could not sleep. I said it was like a demonic presence. And I'd felt it for some time. And I said, this is something I hate to confess. I've never done this. I want you to listen. I actually got up and cut a light on. And I slept on the couch in the living room. And I said, there was just such a presence of evil that I could not, I literally could not sleep. And this man, Johnny Gooch, a great man of God, Johnny looked at me and he said, you know what, I had another friend of mine tell me exactly the same thing. 
And Johnny is a strong Christian. He's spoken here before, and he said, I will agree with you. You know, we, we live in some uncertain times. In 2012, uh, I, after the second, uh, after President Obama won the second term and began to reveal what he would be doing in the way of more leftist, more liberal, LGBT, uh, Israel, whatever it was, there were a lot of things that would, I knew would be changing between 2012 and 2016. Uh, I felt led by the Lord to pray over all our state capitals. I went to all 50 capitals, you know, walked around those capital buildings seven times praying over the governments of all of our states, spent three days in D.C. walking around that capital. And I even told you that there were just life-changing experiences. I can see in my mind Portland, Oregon, and I had a deep spiritual experience in Portland, Oregon. In St. Paul, Minneapolis, you can check me, I wrote a blog in 2012 in which I said there was a demonic presence so real there that I watched it literally, it almost looked like a cloud coming down over the Capitol building as I was walking. In Juneau, Alaska, a couple carried me out to eat and the woman looked at me and said, you're the fourth person who felt led by God to pray over all 50 state capitals. You're the fourth person to come through this. Juneau, Alaska, and do that. When I, I didn't even understand what I was doing. The first capital that I felt like I really, when I left this church, I went to Montgomery, Alabama. I got out with my Bible. I turned and looked at the Capitol building. And I want you to hear me. I'm, I'm not one to be emotional. I began to, I began to weep uncontrollably to the degree that I called Sheila and I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. One of my preacher's friends asked Jeffrey, said, is your dad going crazy? But I'm here to tell you that I believe, I believe that God was awakening a spirit of prayer across this land because I think God was seeing what we're facing right now. We are in very, very uncertain times. And we all feel it. Suicide is up. Divorce is up. Depression is up. People are struggling. Many people right now, even as the election is up in, in, in arms and up in the air, a lot of people wonder, will we implode? I dreamed last night that uh, that Soviet Union, Union attacked us. There's people that are literally... Uh, have feeling an uneasiness and some of these people are godly men and women that I have great respect for. So about two weeks or three weeks ago I did a Q&A where I basically gave you the opportunity to and I was dealing with a series subject called How Then Shall We Live? Chuck Colson and Nancy Piercy wrote a book called, a big old thick book called How Then Shall We Live? Chuck Colson in the 1990s, I think in 1991, was warning parents to get ready for what the nation would face. There have been some voices that have been adamant in warning this nation where we were heading and what was taking place. We're not dealing with liberalism now. We're dealing with the leftist Marxist agenda, which is very different from traditional liberalism. Uh, in the case of racism and racial relationships, there's a difference between a liberal and a leftist. 
These are uncertain times. You know, I was reading, I thought this was interesting, Jeffrey, but I was reading that Bach, the great composer, his children, he had difficulty getting up in the morning. And his children knew how to get their dad up, Bach, the great composer. They would go to the piano and they would play something on the piano and, and leave off the last note. They would do that. It would wake Bach up out of a sound sleep. He would get up, walk straight to the piano, not speak to anybody, and hit the note. I believe that most of us in this room who walk with the Lord feel that there's something getting ready to happen. There's a note missing that needs to be pressed, and, and we, all, we all feel it. So I am doing something a little different. I just simply jumbled down a bunch of stuff here. And in all honesty, I really don't even know where I'm going this morning. But I do know this. I want to give you the opportunity to interrupt at any point and to simply ask a question. The only thing that I ask is that you say it very, very loud so that people may be able to hear, keep it short, so I can reiterate your question. And if something else comes back, you can ask something else as, as it comes up, okay? So I want you to feel that freedom. So um, real quickly, and I'm trying to kind of figure out, you know, the direction that I'm, that I'm going here so you can kind of bear with me. Uh, do what? Kim, you got, oh, what'd you say? Kim's my writer. She's a scribe, so she'll probably, uh, Kim, I'll never understand you with that mask on. So eventually you'll have to just probably say it to Eric or somebody. But let me take a moment. Let me pray again. Okay, let me pray again, okay? Our Heavenly Father, we pray now that you give us a freedom in this room to, dear Lord, do what we need to do in understanding these difficult times. And we pray in the name of Jesus that, Lord, you give me wisdom. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, two or three weeks ago, we did the Q&A. My, uh, my niece down in Orlando, Florida, was actually trying to text a message to me or a question to me during the Q&A. And, and the question was this. It was two questions. Number one, she said, she asked, could we be united in other words, is there a way to bring the United States back together so we're somewhat united, the United States of America? I, I spent time last week answering her question by basically saying, well, over the last couple of weeks, quickly, no, we cannot. We can't be united. And you may say, well, you know, that's not very good. And, and you're a preacher, you shouldn't say that. And I basically said this, Amos 3.3 3 says, the two can't walk together except they be agreed. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you and I can't be unequally yoked. We're not talking about political ideologies, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal. We're no longer talking about that now. We're talking about something much deeper, democracy and a republic compared to Marxism and a leftist agenda that is, that is far more than we've ever, a political ideology that we've never faced before. So we're far more divided even politically on ideology. But beyond that, we're divided and the church wasn't looking for this fight. Let me say this, as a man of God, I'd whole lots rather be preaching through the book of Romans than doing what I'm doing this morning. That's much easier. 
and much safer. But the church has been pulled into this political agenda and this political uh, back and forth right now and in this nation today because there are deep moral issues that we're battling to try to comprehend. Let me give you one of them, abortion, the unborn. When, they, when Roe v. Wade passed, when Roe v. Wade passed, you have to understand something. As best we understood the womb of a mother, it was a, it was a, it was a, a, a glob of flesh with absolutely nothing. Our understanding of it was basically just a, a, a mesh of flesh that we were trying to decide whether it was life or not. Now we through, now through the imagery that we have today, we can go into that womb and see babies that are smiling, laughing, crying, sucking their thumb, interacting within the womb. We see, we see that this is a complex miracle that is taking place in the womb. And we no longer have the excuse. We have more information than we've ever had before. And you remember what I said. We're not talking about abortion in the first six weeks. We're not talking about the first trimester. We now are legal first, second, and third, and now the Colorado uh, Act, the legislation in Colorado made it where now if a baby is born out of a botched abortion and is healthy and alive, they make the baby comfortable and allow the baby to die. It's not only in the womb, it's outside the womb. At that point, the church is obligated to take a stand. And I don't mince any words. I believed all along the African-American would be a key in the political ranting and raving, but I, I, I have yet to see that. Until African-American pastors become involved in the issue of the right to life, we will continue to be where we are today. So they're, they're just, you know, we, we've been pulled into to moral and ethical issues. The basic institution, even before the instituting of the church, was marriage, Adam and Eve. Father leaves his, his uh, you know, husband leaves his, his, his mother and father and he cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. The institution of marriage, the church, the family, originated in the creation right there in the garden when God set man in the garden. And now we're redefining marriage, redefining the institution of marriage, redefining the structure of the family today. When I go home, I'll see the LGBT advertisement, digital advertisement, that basically says to the a gay community, thank you for making the family that much richer. Let me tell you something. I've been in ministry about 40 years. Do you know what I told you about abortion? Let me tell you how many times I've counseled women who had an abortion who were thankful they had an abortion and were not scarred in any way. Look this way. And I do a lot of counseling. Every woman who's ever had abortion was scarred for the rest of their life. And I've met women who've had as many as three who sat and wept and cried and talked about an unborn child that, whose life they had taken. And let me tell you, until you hear the children of a lesbian couple talk about sitting outside on their knees, curled up, wrapped up, as the lesbian mom is with her lover, and that person, that child is sitting outside weeping because they know something is not right about this relationship. And the reality is, is in, if things continue, then I will, become under, I, I will be under attack like never before for even what I said just now. The institution of marriage, the institution, hey, let me tell you something, you'll never find one homosexual, nobody in the gay community, I've counseled people in the gay community, you will never find one person who said I was disrespectful, rude, or anything else. I have a deep love 
for the gay community. But the church has been pulled into this political ideologies that are dividing us more than ever, but it's also moral and ethical issues that now have pulled us in. Uh, strip joints can be open in California, but churches cannot. You don't think there's an all-out attack, a war on the church today? Gambling casinos, other places may be open, churches cannot. We're dealing with very, very difficult time. The church is becoming more isolated, more ostracized. It seems to be kind of polarized over here, and it has no choice. So these are, these are strange, difficult times. I told Sheila this week, we were laying in the bed, it was dark, and out of the clear blue, I said, Sheila, I said, for the first time in my life and in my ministry, I really, truly believe we could be living in the last days. And so this is the case here. So I want you to take your Bibles real quickly. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 24, and I'll be sensitive to time, but Matthew chapter 24, and there are parallel accounts, such as Luke chapter 21. Uh, there are parallel accounts, but in Matthew 24, real quickly, uh, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, it said Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its building. Now, go back up to chapter 13, verse 37. Jesus is looking out over Jerusalem. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, he's speaking to the nation of Israel. Look, your house is left to you desolate. In other words, they had rejected Christ as the Messiah, and now he says your house has been left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus basically says to Israel, the nation of Israel, You have turned your back, you have rejected me as the Messiah, and you will continue to be left desolate until that day I return. Now with that context, chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple, was walking away when his disciples came up to him, and called attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things, Jesus asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Talk to my son-in-law who was in Washington, D.C. Uh, just here recently. He made this statement. He said it was strange, it was eerie. Other people have said this. To see a barricade around the White House and to see how many businesses have been walled up in preparation for an imploding of this country. The destabilizing of the United States will bring a destabilization to the entire world. We are not flirting with our future. We are flirting with the future of the entire globe. So anyway, Jesus tells them, he said, listen, you think that Herod's, uh, which was one of the wonders of the world, Herod's temple, you think that's something? He said, there won't be a stone left on another. You think this walled city? He said, not a stone left on another. And this troubled the disciples. It would be like you and I in D.C. And we look around and we go, my God, 
what has happened to our country's capital. And I look at you and I say, you see the Washington Monument? It will be destroyed. The White House? Destroyed. Our D.C.? Destroyed. If I told you that, you would be troubled by that. The disciples were troubled. So watch what happens. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking out over the city of Jerusalem, the disciples came to him privately. They said, tell us. They said, when will these things happen? When will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They asked three questions. Number one, when you say Jerusalem will be destroyed, when will it be destroyed? Everybody look this way. In 70 A.D., the Romans came into the city of Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple, they destroyed everything. They took the Jewish people and they basically ran them out of Israel and they threw them all over the entire world. Some have said they took stone, they took stones larger than that segment of that wall and I can't tell you how many feet deep and literally pulled them up out of the ground to literally what Jesus said prophetically came true by 70 A.D. and after. And if you don't believe that, check Roman history. If Jesus is right there, don't you think we may need to consider he could be right in a few other places? When will this happen? Number two, look what they say, and what will be the sign of your coming? They recognize the parousia. They recognize eschatology. Eschatology is the study of last things. The Bible always has the prophet, a foreteller and a foreteller. And so what they're saying is, Jesus, when will this temple be destroyed, this edifice that is one of the wonders of the world? When will you return? And then watch the last question, the end of the age. Now, you've heard me say this, and let me say it again. As I understand, as I understand the Bible, and, and, what, and even, I think, Einstein's theory of relativity, but the reality is, is that the Bible has always said that time has a beginning. So if I say this chair is the beginning of time, and this chair is uh, the end of the age. The Bible seems to say, or give us the idea that there's a beginning to time, a beginning to creation. Now, everybody made fun of us until we discovered radiation ripples, and we realized that our cosmos, our universe, had an instantaneous beginning. In other words, it was so instantaneous that you've heard me say this by a picosecond, which is a tenth, a thousandth, of a second, there was such order that it appears by all likelihood, anybody with logic and common sense would say that the creation of our universe began in a simultaneous moment. Buddhists didn't tell us that, Hinduism didn't tell us that, and the only reason Islam can claim to say that, or, or Judaism or Christianity, is because of our belief in the first three, two, three chapters of Genesis because Genesis said God spoke and it came into existence. When the disciples said, tell us of the end of the age, they realized that just like time had a beginning, time will have an end. Now, what Jesus does is, is they're also asking a question. They said, Lord, when will be the sign of your coming? When are you coming back? And then... 
the end of the age. Does that make sense? In fact, let me say this. If you look at John the Beloved in, in Revelation, Revelation is in, in some ways, Revelation means to unveil. John is exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Revelation, John said that the angel said, come up here and from the advantage point of heaven, John is told to write down what he sees. And I believe what he sees is this section of time right here. And he begins to reveal what it'll look like in the end. Some people say, are we living in the last days? I believe that the platform is, is, is been put in place. Unlike any other time in history. Um, let me let me let me try to figure out of this one. Anybody got a question too? Let me give you some statistics. Let me let me maybe share some things with you. Um, Isaiah four one says that women will outnumber men. In China, the one child policy, they're twenty percent right now. China has twenty percent more men than they do women. If you ask old people, old people get they get nervous about that because that usually indicates a war. Russia, because of alcohol-related deaths with men, women in Russia are pushing for polygamy so that they're able to solve that problem. These, these are just little things. The Bible says in Isaiah 4.1 that seven, there'll be seven times more women than there are men. That may, some may say that's taken out of context. I don't believe that it is. We, we face a lot of issues, a big tech. In fact, let me get you to do this. Maybe I'm scatterbrained here. Go over to Revelation chapter 13. Because in Revelation chapter 13, John the Beloved, if you go back and read Revelation, you'll find that John is told to come up here. He comes up here. I think John sees from the advantage point of God what is happening in the end time possibly in a time that we're living in. But in, in Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 13, John said, And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw re resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished, followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies, to exercise his authority for 42 months, three and a half years. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God, to slander God and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All the inhabitants of the earth would, will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Now watch these next words. Watch closely. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. 
He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf, and he made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Now, bear with me. Because of the signs, he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast. He deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his forehead or on his right hand so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the number of the name of the beast or the number of his name this calls for wisdom if anyone has insight let him calculate the number of the beast for it is a man's number his number is 666 what does all that mean i don't know When the Bible uses the word image, it's in the Greek, it's the word icon. John is watching at least a 2,000-year-old world, if he's in our day. The word icon means picture. It means image. In the Shona language of Zimbabwe, we use the word mufananitso. Mufananitso means, if you said that, you would be saying, can I take a picture of mufananitso? John says that he saw what looked to be a picture, an icon, like a piece of art. And he said he came to life and it began to speak. My friend, when you look at modern TV today and you look at HGTV, you look at some of the, some of the uh, improvements that we've made in the quality, we can see every freckle on a person now through the imageries that are put up on TV. What did John see? Did John see a computer monitor? Did John see something that he did not understand? And in his language, he was trying desperately to say, I saw a picture and it came to life. And what took place had the ability to affect every human being on this earth. And whatever he calls the beast, the Antichrist, and remember, the word anti can mean against Christ or in the place of Christ. Remember this, Satan. Satan also has his Messiah. The Bible tends to make us think, as best we can understand, that our world will move more and more toward a single government and a single leader that will basically control the movement, the strategy, and the entire world. Uh, the platform, the stage could be set where we as a nation who seem to be the more rowdy one are being coming to... In fact, a lot of people say, where is the United States in prophecy? The answer to that is, it's not. My answer to that would be we're either part of the old Roman Empire, the old Roman Federation, or either the rapture has affected us. Because remember, prior to the end of the age is the second coming of Jesus Christ, that year right there. 
when the Bible indicates that Jesus Christ will take us out of this creation rapture. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. I feel like I'm scattered here. I know you may feel like I, I used to sit in a class with R.C. Sproul and I said it was like drinking water out of a fire hydrant. So let me stop here and give you an opportunity to ask a question. Yes. Well, I, you know, Shelby, that's a, that's a good question. You're a gifted, talented young lady. God definitely has a plan and a purpose for your life. I think that we don't know. I mean, we don't know are we living in the last days. And I think the danger is, is that we begin to just simply act like Paul believed he was in the last days. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul said, And we who are alive and remain shall be called up, and that's where we get the word rapture, shall be called up together in the air with them, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul believed he was living in the last days. Peter believed that. They lived their lives as if they thought Jesus was going to come within their lifetime. So what did they do? Two things. Number one, they sought to advance the kingdom of God evangelism, constantly taking the gospel to every people group around the world while at the same time living out those kingdom principles in the environment that God had placed them. Does that make sense? In other words, your responsibility is, in answer to your question, we may be in the last days, it may be a thousand years from now. But the reality is if Jesus Christ were sitting here talking to Shelby, he would say, Shelby, you don't know. All I want you to do is to spread the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, every opportunity you have as far as you can in every place, every venue that I put you. Be that salt, light, and yeast. And live out those kingdom principles every day in front of those people. That's what I want you to do until I come, whether it be tomorrow or a thousand years. I think the danger is, is that we begin to kind of pack up and get ready and we just start finding ourselves waiting and that's definitely not God's will. Does that answer your question? Any follow-up? Somebody else? Real loud, Russell. I want those people to hear. Dreamed of what now? The rain? A rainbow? Well, a rainbow's gotten a bad rap in our day. But you have to understand something, and let me say this. The Bible says that, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Satan goes about like a roaring lion. There's only one lion, and that's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Satan, will, Satan has an antichrist. Believe you me, Satan knows the Bible. He knows the scripture. He quoted it to Jesus in Luke 4 when he told Jesus out of the Psalms, cast yourself down from the temple, for it is written, he's quoting, Satan is quoting the word of God to Jesus. It is written that legions of angels will lift you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. 
Satan will always take emblems and references and, and those things. What was the rainbow? The rainbow was a sign or a picture of God making a covenant with humanity. And you know what God said after he destroyed the earth? And let me tell you something. Every civilization, it doesn't matter where you go, will speak to a moment in creation when this earth and everything was destroyed by a flood. They may have different understandings and pictures. It doesn't matter whether you're in China. It doesn't matter whether you're in Africa. You go to the bush of Africa, they talk about Noah, and they talk about the ark, and they talk about the destruction of the earth by flood. But when God made a promise to Noah and his family, he said, I will never destroy this earth again by way of flood. And there's the picture, there's the sign, there's the promise of my covenant, my agreement with you. What does man do? What does Satan do? He simply takes that and turns it into something else. I'm going to get in a lot of trouble right here. Uh, it was said that John Lewis, at his funeral, great civil rights leader, said that there was a rainbow over the White House or something. I read something of this effect. And somebody said, you need to speak about the rainbow. And I said, well, you have to understand something. The civil rights movement has embraced the LGBT movement, but has failed to grasp in any way the magnitude of the unborn. And that can get me in a lot of trouble. Anybody else? I got a... Nobody knows. You know, Jesus said even when he was speaking, he said not even he knew at that time. And his role as, 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 that, uh, as the Messiah, even there here on this earth, for some reason, he says, only the Father knows. He didn't know either. The Bible says, Jesus said, the angels don't know. Nobody knows, but we're given signs. Remember, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18, Paul talks about the rapture of the church. In chapter 5, he tells the church at Thessalonica, he says that, that rapture will come like a thief. This will happen, he said, like a thief. In other words, if I literally, it, it, you know, there's no way that I could do it because I can't pick this chair up. Well, let me do it. The bottom line is that this is the beginning of time. This is the end of the age. This is the rapture of the church, which Paul said in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, then if this represents the church, the church is taken out. The church is removed. Now, what, what, what you're asking is, um, is there any signs? Yes. Jesus gave us, in Matthew chapter 24, he gave us all kinds of signs. First of all, he said there'd be deception. Deception like we've never seen it before. Let me tell you something. Nobody trusts nobody no more. I don't know where to wear a mask or not wear a mask. 
I don't know if the disease just happened to come up by bats or whether China uh, hatched it out of a lab over there in China. I don't know if a dozen men sitting in a smoke-filled room are controlling, controlling the entire world. I don't know how much Bill Gates has to do with what's happening in Twitter, what's happening in Facebook, or all of the problems that we face. But I know this. The Media Research Center studied mainline network in June and July and for ABC, NBC, CBS, and for June and July, for every one negative statement made about Joe Biden, there were 158 statements negative about Donald Trump. So I have to recognize the fact that the media and high tech may be controlling everything that we're doing right now. For instance, if I start talking on my about how to build a shed, Believe you me, I'll go to YouTube and it'll say, and I need to be repeating the questions, I just see that, sorry. But it will say, uh, it will be on YouTube how to build a shed. I didn't tell my phone, let me tell you what's happening. Your search engine, Google, is a monster. And if you don't believe it, it the, the United States government does not know how to control it. It has no checks and balances like your president or Congress or your judicial system. It is an entity that nobody can figure out how to control, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and the other social media programs. The reality is, is that we live in a day of such technology. This is no longer studying your buying habits. This is beginning to control your desires and what you buy. Yeah, not even recognizing A.D., B.C., or, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. He's talking about Rome destroying. Historically, Rome did destroy Jerusalem in 70 A.D. We just, let me, let me say this, and I know we're, we're about out of time, but I, there's a book right now called Deleted. And this is what Deleted, this book is warning about Google. Let's take Google. They are dangerous because there's no checks and balance. They are unbridled power with no law, no regulations, and no public body to stop them. Politicians and regulators have been, listen to what he said, utterly paralyzed over how to respond to the danger posed by big tech today. This is the world that we're living in. So we go, let's go back to the image of the beast. The image, icon, picture, Mufana Mitzo. John said, I saw a picture and it came to life and it began to speak. Now he uses the terminology in the Greek, an icon, which means a literal photograph, an artwork, a picture. In his day, he would have thought of an artist drawing a picture of a man. And he said, all I know is that picture, that icon was given breath. It began to talk to me. I watched it speaking. I didn't understand it, but I do know this that what it did was it controlled the entire economy, government, government of the world. The platform uh, could, be, could be set. And, uh, you know, I, I've got to close, but let's take mask, vaccine. Let's, hey, let's take this. The Bible said, you've heard me say this, the Bible said you can't buy or sell. 
I, I come, Sheila and I come up to Sam's line standing out there. I said, are they closed? They said, no. I said, are they not? They, they said, well, if you've got the Sam's Plus card, you can go on in. Well, thank God you've given me the Sam's Plus card, so I walked right on by and went right on in. But let me tell you, see all those numbers on the back of that card? That card determines whether I can do commerce in Sam's. That's my identification in Sam's. They don't even put my picture on there anymore. They didn't like it. They don't even put my picture. They just got a bunch of numbers there, and they've got to scan. All they've got to do is scan that, and that's how I carry on. That's how I buy or sell. Now, let me tell you, 100 years ago, check the commentaries. No Bible scholar for 2,000 years even understood Revelation 16. Now, we're sitting here saying, wait a minute. It is possible that the commerce, the buying and selling of the world could be controlled by number because we see it now. Now let me give you an example. Who, who, what are we now? We're a cashless society. You do, you do everything by this. Credit card. Has a computer chip in it. You don't even swipe it most of the time now. In fact, you don't even do that. What can I do with my phone? You know what every credit card company says? You know what the problem is right now? Fraud, identity theft, fraud. What are you gonna do? You're gonna take that computer chip and eventually you're gonna put it in that person. Let me ask you this question. Are you gonna get the vaccination? You know, a lot of people say, well, let me ask you this. What are you gonna do when you walk up to Lowe's and Lowe's says, hey, we're gonna have to check and see if you've had the vaccination or not. And you say, well, I, I, I can't. I'm not going to take the vaccine. And Lowe said, well, you can't shop here. You're a risk. Are we living in the last days? I don't know. Shelby, I don't know. But I can tell you this much. I've been doing this a long time, and I've watched the stage, like all the props, be put in place. And I think sometimes, I actually almost, there's a little bit of fear God, am I living in the last days? And am I ready? And the people I love, are they ready? Where do they put that gun, that temperature, when they check you? Where's the mark at? Oh, preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. Maybe I don't. But I can tell you this much. If you study the Bible, I've spent my life, I've read it every 90 days at times. And I can tell you this much. I've read the Bible over and over and over and over again. I wake up in the night, read the Bible over and over again. I carry an African disease in me. I said, bottom line, I sit on a pot a lot. And I do a lot of reading sitting in the bathroom. And most of the time, it's the Bible. Or let me ask you this question. Let me ask you watching on live stream. Are you ready? You may say, preacher, I don't believe any of that. Well, I tell you what, you give me an hour with you personally, one-on-one, -on -one, I don't care who you are. And I guarantee one thing, I'll make you think. Hey, if you don't believe earthquakes are getting worse, the Bible says a woman will, that, that creation creation the bible said paul said in corinthians i think it was in corinthians he said that before christ comes before this happens here 
Jesus said this. He said, the earth will begin to travail like a woman in labor. I remember when you were born. I remember Carl and Terry when you had her. I remember standing at the window looking at her, taking her just right there being born. And I know this, with four children she gave birth to, when she looked at me, and I was a paramedic for years, I delivered. Hey, listen, when she looked at me and said, it's time. And all of a sudden those pains came. And let me tell you two things that happened. They come closer together, which means time is of the essence. And they come much harder. And a woman will tell you that. It's getting worse. Get me there. You got to get me. Hey, we've delivered babies in the back of ambulances. We've delivered them on the side of the road. Nothing waits. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says before Jesus comes back, he said the earth will travail like a woman in labor. Go look at, the, go look at information on earthquakes now. They've got, an actual, they've got an actual thing that's reading every earthquake as it's happening in seconds now. Are we in the last days? I don't know. Are you ready? Let me tell you, I've done everything I can to get ready. I've repented of my sin, given my heart to Jesus Christ. I'm still battling like some of you. I still battle with the enemy. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm still battling. Man, I got no sin, carnal, fleshly nature. I'm just as much man as any man in this room. But let me tell you, you know what Jesus said? I got this. I got this. Does he have you? Have you repented of your sin? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you invited him to come and live in your heart? Are we finished today? Absolutely not. We'll deal with this for a while. So hang on to those questions. Let's stand. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, it just seems like time goes so quickly. Boy, does it. And Lord, in a lot of ways, I may have, uh, I may have just kind of rambled. Uh, people may just be walking out scratching their head rather than wiping their eyes. Lord, are you coming back? Are you? Lord, as best we understand the Bible, it would seem, dear Lord, that signs and things are happening in this world that are so unbelievably real and seem to be plucked from the prophetic pages of your word that, Lord, we can't help but think to ourselves, I, I, I could be living in the last days. But all Shelby reminded us and her simple question as a young, talented, gifted young lady, how do I live? Well, we just continue to, first of all, know that we're saved, to know that we have been saved, that we have given our heart and life to Jesus Christ, that Christ lives in us. The Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory, that we're the temple of your Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, every venue, every office, every place we go, May we be that salt, light, and yeast. May we make a difference. May people almost feel as if Jesus is in the room. A little boy who came up two or three weeks ago, as I was counseling with the adult, he pulled at my pant leg and said, Hey, Mr. Jesus, may people say that of us, wherever we may be. 
wherever we walk in and when we walk into a room, may they see and hear Jesus. May we be the kingdom. Because we'll be maybe the only Bible some people will ever read. Maybe the only Jesus some people will ever see. And Lord, may we also live those kingdom principles out in front of people. Look this way, then we'll say amen. Got into Sam's, got all this stuff, busy people, and then the holiday spirit, pushing their buggies. I'm, I'm so sick of the place. Just get me out of here. I get out there, Sheila's behind me, she has Aaron, my little grandson, the youngest of 16. And about that time, this woman, she just comes whipping around that parking lot in a SUV, just comes around there, and Sheila just stopped because I did my hand up like that. And man, I, of course, I had my mask on. She didn't know I was a pastor of a church. I had my mask on. That's the only good thing about it. I see why criminals wear those things. But anyway, no. I looked at her and I said, you need to slow down. And I was looking right at her, probably that far her window up, and just fear in her face. You know, I was just so angry. But I thought to myself, wow, you know, what a testimony I gave in that moment. And even though I had a right to tell her to slow down, was there a better way to do it? You and I are the only Jesus some people are ever going to see. And one day the Bible is going to, Jesus is going to call you and I home. Listen, His Holy Spirit, you're the temple of His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit's living in you. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be just like a magnet. It's going to be just like a magnet. God's going to sound. The Bible says the trump of God will sound. The dead in Christ shall rise. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, caught up, raptured. It's just going to be like all of a sudden you just, you're going to look and you're going, it's happening. In the twinkling of an eye, Paul said, like a thief that comes in the night, but not for the child of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul said, not you and I. We're ready. We're waiting. We want him to come. And all God's people said, Amen. You come. You come.